0: The subject or the doctrine of eternal security, and so uh, this is a common topic to say or to list among uh, Baptists. If you've grown up Baptist and in that doctrine, uh, eternal security is part of the pillar that we stand upon. And uh, eternal security, its name. Some people call it one saved, always saved. People will ask you the question: Do you believe you can lose your salvation? If there's different ways of uh, explaining it, what does this mean? when it comes to the doctrine of salvation people believe that you can lose your salvation you can cross a line with being bad you can sin too much you can step out of the will of god there's different ways that people say it most people would step back and say no i don't believe that but then things happen in their life and i'm telling you even recently i've dealt with some seasoned christians that have had hardcore questions conversations with me and talking to me just saying pull me off to the side and say hey I know that so-and-so took their own life. And I know the Bible says that if you take your own life, you don't go to heaven. I'm like, where does the Bible say that? And that comes up, and a lot of you guys have heard that. I've heard it, uh, different, different people say that, well, I, I think that they lost their salvation, or they've been away from God for so long that there's no way that they could be saved anymore and stuff. So I've had people on their deathbed, literally Christians that have been in church their whole life, and they just say, I hope I didn't mess up too much I said, like, well, what do you mean by that? I was like, well, I just don't want to stand before God and find out that I wasn't good enough. And, and that's a spiritual battle that we have. So um, people will ask, can they be resaved?" That term, can I be resaved?" Do I need to be re-baptized, re-saved? So we're going we're gonna to get into this because I want to make sure that we have uh, a deep understanding when it comes to this. So we're going to start with just kind of a big picture, and then we're going to break down five biblical truths that explain eternal security and how we can know. I'm going to give you a lot of verses, and, and so if you don't have time to write all these things down, uh, you can always go back and watch this. So I'm going to start just, we're watching the news. If you watch the news right now, a lot of attention is on Israel, and it's pretty exciting. I've mentioned this a couple of times in my message is talking about how Israel's tied in the end-time prophecy, and it is. Uh, it's amazing how one little country can get so much attention. So if you look at the screen, if you look at your screen, I want you to see uh, the size of Israel. And a lot of times we talk about that you're thinking, man, what a big deal. It's such a small little country, a small little nation. When, it, when you look at the map of how much attention, how much opposition, how much war, all these things that happen around this. And you think about how this one little nation has survived so much opposition through the years. You think about, we're talking about biblical history all the way to the beginning of Genesis. And yet, through all these years, nobody's ever been able to come over and conquer this nation. How does one little nation been able to thrive after all this time? About the blessings that this nation has. So I'm going to start with this principle. And you're thinking, what in the world does this have to do with eternal security? I'll explain in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, and like I said, I'll have lots of uh, passages that we're going to explain. We'll break it down into five principles, but I just want to give you a big overarching uh, principle as we start. It says, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land which I will show thee, and I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, And thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now this is this is a promise, a covenant that God was making between God and Abraham, or God and the children of Israel. And He was promising their people, He was promising their land. It was very specific as He's talking about this. This was a covenant, a bond, a promise that he was making with them, a commitment between God and his people. Genesis 13, verse 14, And the Lord said unto Abraham, After Lot was separated from him, lift up thine eyes, and look from the place wherein thou art, northward and southward and eastward and westward, and all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and for thy seed forever. It's a promise. So you, You sit there and say, wow, when we are seeing all this attention on Israel. And we say, why do we stand with Israel? Because God stands with Israel. You want to know why we believe in this so much? Because God said, I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. This is what God said. God made a promise. God made a covenant with them. And so we see this. Abraham and God's chosen people, we're seeing this pointed out. And they exist today because of an unconditional covenant with Abraham. Because of this covenant, Abraham's descendants are still in possession of the land today. Uh, Now they've been persecuted more than any other nation. If you guys know the history of the Holocaust and all this, they've been persecuted like crazy, Uh, but they still exist because of God's promise upon them. And what we get this from this is, let me just lay this out, God keeps his promises. When God makes you a promise and God tells you something, you don't have to fear uh, God pulling that back if you look at Israel you can see their unbelief how they rejected the prophets how they rejected even Jesus and yet because of God's promise he God is still faithful on his end of the promise even though Israel wasn't faithful on their end and so it, Israel has dropped the ball in so many ways and so this is important because we see that God does not change his mind God does not fail on his promises. And if God makes a commitment and a covenant with us, God follows through with that. God is faithful. When God makes a covenant, it is an eternal covenant. And the new covenant with the believers is also an unconditional covenant or promise that God makes with us. So we're going to make a little application that's the same thing. So we study that in Israel, and we can see it literally in the news. You can sit there, and I hope every time you watch the news come on, you can look at it and say, man, God is faithful. God keeps his promises. Man, God is good. It's like Israel's still alive and Israel's still flourishing and all these things because God is good. Hebrews 9, verse 15 For this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, this new covenant, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of an eternal inheritance. So, what are they receiving? This promise of an eternal inheritance. This is this is what God said. We know what God said to Israel. Let's talk about us. We're talking about salvation. We're talking about being saved. We're talking about what God gives us. 1 John 2, 25. And this is the promise that He has promised us, even eternal life. It's a promise, it's a covenant. Seems simple. God promised us eternal life through Jesus Christ. So the question is: why do so many people struggle with this? And I, may, maybe you're here, you say, man, I have this settled. But you probably know people that struggle with this. You know, denominations, you know, other churches that, that, that this is a doctrine that is up for debate. So why is it up for so much debate? Because our minds, we think that we can lose what God has done because of different reasons. One, because we don't fully understand the Scriptures. You know, we'll, we'll take a thought, we'll take a verse, we'll twist it, whatever. One thing is we don't fully understand the Scriptures, but the other thing is I think we often try to take this biblical thing and we bring it down to our understanding. We're unfaithful. We, and I've, I've taught on love about how God's love is not like any other love. God's love is unconditional love. So when you think about that, if, if, you, if you did me in, if you were, were unfaithful to me, if, if you hurt me, we'd write each other off and we'd be done with it. And a lot of times we're thinking, well, if that's how we are with each other, that must be how God is with us. But we can't bring God's character down to us like that. We can't do that. So let's look at five biblical truths that explain eternal security. Five biblical truths, and then at the end we'll do a wrap-up and explain how this all comes together. Number one is the finished work of Christ. The finished work of Christ. The Old Testament was was based on works. And I know if you have any kind of church history or whatever, you know that if they messed up or if they sinned, they, they had to make sacrifice for that. They had to go through the effort. They had to go back, and they had to go back because what they did did not cover, did not forgive. It did not eliminate their sin. So they did offer sacrifice again and again. So Hebrews 10.10 10 explains this. By the which we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Dramatic pause. Once and for all. Now you're going to see this a lot. And I'll explain how this ties into salvation here in a minute. But what Jesus Christ did is for the sacrifice, they were no longer working at it. And he said what Jesus Christ is the ultimate sacrifice. He did it once and for all. And every priest standing daily ministering, offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. So a lot of times we we try, our minds go back to the Old Testament and uh, trying to do good and covering our sins and trying to uh, make things right and of our own efforts and strength. And the Bible says, okay, you've got to understand the new covenant that we live in is the covenant of Jesus Christ, this promise of Jesus Christ, Hebrews 10, 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, Sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever. Let me read that again. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. He sat down. Why? The work was completed. There's no longer working at it, there's no longer trying to fix it. Right before Christ died on the cross, he cried out on the cross, he said, It is finished. What was finished? The job, the payment was completely covered. There's no longer going in. We, we don't have Jesus coming down once a year to die on a cross and go back up. It's not like that. The finished work of Christ. Jesus sat down, no longer having to go back and fix and complete what he did. First Peter 1.3, "'Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy have begotten us again unto lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead.'" So now let's take this finished work of Christ. Okay, we've got that. I think everybody would say, he died once, yes. He rose again once, yes. What does that mean for me? How does that apply to me? So he says in 1 Peter 1, 3, he's talking about, blessed be the God of the Father, Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto this living hope. This lively hope he's talking about here. Born again, given us this again, this living hope by which he did for us now look at how this is connected to us. So we talked about what Jesus Christ did. It's, 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 it's once and for all, he, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It is finished. First Peter 1 Peter 1.4, to an inheritance. I, I, I'm not getting any big inheritance. I'm just telling you guys that. I know my family. I have no big rich uncles. If any of you guys have rich uncles that are looking to adopt a, 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 somebody I throw my name into the hat. I have no rich people that I'm going to get a great inheritance from. But let me tell you about my, my Savior Jesus Christ and the inheritance that I received from him. He says, this inheritance, this inheritance, I inherited what he did. This finished work of Christ as a child of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ, okay? I inherit incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. So we talked about this finished work of Christ. And he says, do you not understand what you received because of what he did? It, it, it becomes part of your life. I, I, I am joining as I'm a child of God. I get this as my inheritance, the finished work of Christ. I don't have to go back and earn or work or try to do it again. I've received the finished work of Christ. I'm part of the victory that we celebrate. Part of this. Galatians 2.20. I use this verse all the time. It's my life verse. It's on my heart and mind all the time. I am crucified with Christ. Listen to what I'm saying. It's like, what did he do? He did. The, he's the finished work of Christ. He doesn't have to go back and forth. He doesn't have to redo it again. Okay. He says, Paul says, Church of Galatia, he says this. He goes, um, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives within me. And This life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see, we inherit what Jesus Christ did? The, the finished work that he did is the finished work that I receive. I'm no longer working for this. This life which I now live, the life that died, rose again, and doesn't have to redo it, is the life which I now live. The victory of the cross is my identity. When I talk about Jesus finished it, I can say my sin is finished. Once and for all. And how, if you notice, every time Jesus says that, once and for all, once and for all, once and for all, it is done. So let me go back to Peter uh, and finish that verse, verse five. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed uh, in the last day or in the last time. Kept. That word kept means sealed, okay? It means preserved by God. Who are, let me just say, Tony, is. Preserved by God, not by what he does. Not by my good works or bad works. But how? Let me read it. By the power of God. Through faith, not works, not attendance, not all the good things that we say. Through faith, unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last day. Preserved unto the very end. It's what it is. Preserved by God. You inherit salvation through faith in Christ. You don't earn it. But think about this. If you didn't do anything good to get it, how can you do something bad to lose it? That's the thing that you have to be careful of. Because if, if, if you're going to lose it because you did something bad, you don't understand how you gained it. You gained it by receiving Jesus Christ. So you've got to understand this. And these are verses, let me read some verses that we say all the time that kind of support this thing. We're talking about the finished work of Christ not by works of righteousness, which we have done. So you take that person that's sitting there saying, they, they come to you, man, I've been really bad. Well, tell me about it. You know, what, what do you mean you've been really bad? And if, you, if you've been a Christian very long, if you counsel people, you're gonna, you've heard this kind of stuff. Man, I've been, I've been out of church. Man, I got so far from God. Man, I did this and I did that. And they start going through, I, I got messed up in this for a while and things. And I just, I just know I just need to get saved again. You know, wait, wait a minute. So you think the bad things that you did took away what Jesus did? Let me explain it like this. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done. It was never you going to church or you being good or you being faithful. It was never any of those things that saved you. So, so to think that you need to go back and do those things again to earn it back, it was never that to begin with. It's not works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. But according to the finished work of Christ, he saved us. By the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Ghost. It literally what Jesus Christ did on the inside of me that was permanent. Ephesians 2.8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and it's not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's not one point in your life that you can sit there and go, "Woohoo! I made it, look what I did. Jesus says it was never about what you did. It was never, ever about you maintaining it. If it was, we, we would have this finish line and trophies at the end of it. Like, you know, look at what I did. I did it. I accomplished it. And Jesus said it was never. When we get to heaven, it's all praise the, praise the name of the Lord our God. We'll praise his name forever. Why? Because he did it all. It was never anything you did to begin with. It, it was never about works. It's never about doing good. Say so we would love to thank you, for you to think that, though think about it. If he could make you think that it's about doing good or, 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 or being bad to lose it, man, then it takes your mind off of the finished work of Christ, and it begins to make it all about what you do. And then you begin to man-please and, and try to outdo and uh, show up and all these other things that we try to do in our lives. Every aspect of this is about God. Galatians 2.16, knowing that the man is not justified by the works of the law. And you've never been justified by the works of the law, but by faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith of Christ and not by works of the law, for by works of the law shall no flesh be justified. We are made right by Jesus Christ. So it's just the finished work of Jesus Christ at the beginning. You say, he did it once and for all. And I can boldly raise up my hand and say that is my testimony, I am crucified with Christ. He doesn't have to go back and redo it. Neither do I, because His testimony is my testimony. I'm washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm buried in the likeness of His death, raised to walk in newness of life. That's why we say, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Let me tell you about that old man. It's 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 it died. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I am in Christ. This is my new position. So let's pause there and explain that. Point number two, it's not only about the finished work of Christ. Once and for all, that's my testimony. Number two, it's about our position of grace. Does everybody know what the term grace means? It means unmerited favor. Let let me just put it out there. It means you got what you didn't deserve. You, You never deserved it literally so so if you never deserved it at the beginning how do you think you get to a certain point where you stop deserving it you know like you undeserved it it, it doesn't work that way no, i know we just read this but let me reemphasize it with this for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves god god takes when it comes to salvation god takes you right out of the equation and we'll talk about i think i messed up god said what are you talking about i you're, you're not even in this what are you, what are you talking about you keep saying what you did. It's, it's not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Lest any man should boast. It, it's, it's never about you. Grace is receiving something you did not deserve. Grace is the key to the subject of eternal security. And it's so important for us to understand this. Romans eleven six and it says, And if by grace, it is no more works. You, you talk about I don't deserve it because I've messed up so much. God says you never deserved it to begin with you never deserved it for being him. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. So here's what God is saying in that passage. If you're going to make it about good deeds and doing right or wrong, then you can't make it about grace. If you make it about grace, you can't make it about good deeds. He said you can't can't do both. It's either free or it's not. You think about it. It's amazing where I think about the dealerships that talk about you can get this car for as low as $199 a month. And you're like, man, that's an amazing deal. But then they talk about the $10,000 you have to put down. It's only $199 a month because you're paying the other part up front. Not that they lower the price. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a play on words. Jesus is saying, literally saying, if you have to work for it, it's not a play on words. It's literally free, 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 all the way down. It's by grace that you saved and not of yourself. It's your position. I live in grace. I'm saved by grace. It's all about grace, which literally means it was never about works. Here's why this is so important, because if it's about works in any way, and it's about not trying to sin or about crossing a line, I'm here to tell you, you're all sinners. Okay, let me, we're all sinners. I'll throw me in there. (laughs) We're all sinners, okay? We're all sinners, and we sin every day. We sin every day. So if it's a matter of losing it, we're all in big trouble. There's two ways that we sin. Well, there's a lot of ways that we sin, but let me break it down two ways. There's the sins of commission, which is deliberate. You know what I'm saying? You get mad, you punch somebody. I mean, you're mad, you did it, okay? It's, man, I shouldn't have done that. There's, you cheat on your taxes because you have, you know, all the little things that people do. There's a lot of things that we kind of, like, I don't, we mess up. Road rage, you guys know what I'm talking about. Get mad, you slip up, say things you shouldn't. Those are sins of commission. They're deliberate. Okay, you intended to do it, but there's sins of omission. Let me give you an, a, an example of this. There, there's things that we should be doing that we're not doing. Okay, the Bible says, Rejoice every more, pray without ceasing. How many of you guys do that? No, we're no not. Um, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit those are things that we should be doing that we're not doing. And I might not be punching somebody in the face, but God said at the same time, you should be thankful for all things. You should be praying. You should be thankful for, for the blessings in your life. There, there are sins of omission where I just, I, I, I just completely don't do these things. They're not in things that I'm intentionally doing, but there's things that I don't do. There are commands to the Christian that we should be doing these things, but we break these things every day. So, this is important for us to understand because of the thing is, if you're, if you're going to mess up, and if it's a matter of adding up all the things you've done wrong, whether you realize it or not, we all fall short constantly. That's why we praise God for the grace of God. Because I'm getting what I don't deserve. Hebrews 10.10, 10, by which we, will, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. I, I know we said this, but we're going back and repeating some of it. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. You see, when Jesus Christ died on the cross for the wages of my sin, he covered them past, present, and future. It's, I, I'm under that umbrella of being forgiven by Jesus Christ. The word perfected means completed or accomplished. It's, it's, it's perfected. It's past, present, and future. I, I, there's nothing that I can do. I'm, I, I'm no longer a sinner without Jesus Christ. I am forgiven. That's the position that I stand. I stand in grace. I stand positioned in, in the grace of God, forgiven. Number three, it leads us, and these all are related, um, it leads us to our relationship with God. And, and I'm just going to continue this thought as we go. So you say, well, if I sin all the time, if we're all sinners, we all mess up, then man, how in the world can I keep my salvation? How can I do this? Because, I mean, just like we all make mistakes. I'm going to ask it like this. If it's about a relationship with God and you have kids, do your kids ever let you down? Absolutely. It's in their nature. It's, it's, they're going to. Do they break rules? Do they rebel? Are they unthankful at times? Do they dis? Uh, Sins of omission and commission. They do things on purpose and they do things just because they're not even thinking about it. The answer is yes. Does that mean that they're no longer your child? Do you kick them out? Do, 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 you, do, you, make, do, do you pull back your name from their name so that they're not associated with you anymore? Why? You give them constantly in the relationship as your children what they don't deserve grace. Constantly. That very illustration that they live in your grace every single day. They can can fail in school. They could get kicked out. they, They could be on probation. They could all these different things. They're still gonna come home. You're still gonna give them lunch. You're still gonna give them dinner. You're still gonna give them a bed. You love them. It's grace. These things do not change their position in the family. They are still your son and daughter. But it does affect the relationship. And this is where God brings it down to our level to help us understand. And I love how God does this for us. We do not bless our children when they disobey. I mean, I hope you don't do that. You're not like, "Oh, great job." You know, here's an ice cream sandwich even though you failed your test. It's it's a matter of you don't bless them for that, but they still stay in that position of grace. They're still part of the family. But God does seek to correct us the same way that we correct our kids. So they're in that house, okay, of grace. They they're they're no longer lost and out there. They're in your home of grace. They're part of the family. And the Bible says, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Why does he refer- reference that as his son? He said, well, you're saying that I can just do whatever I want and get away with it. No, not at all. Let, let me put it like this. If, if you're being chastened and spanked by God, it's because he loves you. He corrects you. He pulls you back. He, he's constantly wanting you to do right. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? God's going to correct you. You know why? Because he loves you. He cares about you. This is is a biblical uh, illustration. Paul even said, he said, for the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I do not, that I do. Now, if I do that which I would not, it is more that I do it, but sin dwelleth in me. And I know that's a tongue twister, but he's saying the things that I should do, I don't do those. The things that I, I shouldn't be doing, those are the things that I do. And he was talking about that. He said, man, I sin all the time, but why do I keep my salvation? How do I'm not kicked out of the family? How does God just say, I'm done with you? It's because of the grace of God. But every time we read about Paul's testimony, he doesn't keep running back to get saved. This subject is so important that we understand that we are the children of God, and this is the foundation of this principle. Behold what manner of love the Father bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, we are now the sons of God, and it doth not appear that we should be what we should be. But we know that we shall, uh, shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So the Bible over, over and over again in this passage emphasizes one thing, that you are a child of God. So all of a sudden, it puts us on a relationship level to understand this, why God loves us and why God takes care of us and why God saved us and how you're brought into this family. Galatians 3.26 says, for you are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. What made you a child of God is your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I, I mentioned this in a message that I did on Mother's Day where everybody says, we're all the children of God. No, we're not. The Bible says about salvation and the fact that we're born into the family of God. And the, the, this, this family illustration is, is so ingrained in the gospel. He is our father. And this says in uh, Corinthians 6, 18, And the father will be a father unto you, and he will be a father unto you. You shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord God Almighty. We are family. it says be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love. Over and over again, he's emphasizing this, that we're a family. We're, we're part of one another. He's our heavenly father. Because he's, he's bringing it down to an illustration that we live in every day. Does family always get along? Absolutely not. Neither will the church family get along all the time. Absolutely not. So, what do we do? We make things right. Don't throw them out of the family. We don't reject people. Uh, If thy brother uh, shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between me and thee uh, and, and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Man, you've rekindled the relationship, you fixed what was broken because of sin. I no, I'm going along on this, but let me explain where I'm going with this. How does someone become your child? They are born into the family. But as many as received him, and gave you the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born. Man, I, 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 this is one of the most powerful aspects of understanding eternal security. God doesn't just say you're saved. God doesn't just say you believe. God gives this illustration that you were born, that were born, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. When Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, and he's introducing salvation, and he's laying this out, he says, And Jesus answered, said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And you think about this, Nicodemus is taking the physical illustration that Jesus was giving at the beginning. He says, do I have to go a second time and be born? Now you can imagine Nicodemus is thinking to his mind, that is impossible. And you, you've got to understand what Jesus was illustrating here. Jesus was teaching this principle. Do I have to be born a second time? He goes, Jesus was in some aspects of it saying, all right, you get it. Nicodemus, how do you do that? Nicodemus is thinking, you don't do that. You can't do that. Man, do you know, Lord, Lord, you're only born once. He goes, that's right. You're only born once. The Bible emphasized being part of the family of God, but how did you get into the family of God? You're born. And Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except the man be born of water and of the spirit. Now the water is the physical birth there. A lot of people will emphasize that as being baptism. It's not talking about baptism there at all. It's talking about the physical birth. It's drawing a conclusion. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Okay, there's two different things. Verily I say unto you, except the man be born of water and of the spirit. He cannot enter in the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. Now I'm going to ask you guys, just, just to lay out this foundation of the principle that he's teaching you, how many times are you born? Once. So now Jesus, if if I had a chalkboard or whiteboard right here, I would I've done this before teaching through this. I (laughs) like flesh, spirit, body, spirit. You know, he, he emphasizes that going back and forth. Showing it's once and once. You cannot go back and do it a second time. Because when you're born, it's a physical illustration that you are now part of the family of God. Jesus was making such a clear visual of being born once into the family of God. You cannot redo it. He was proving a fact with this. It's a visual. It's an illustration. Can you imagine every time your kids messed up, they were kicked out of the family and then reborn into your family? You say, that is ridiculous. That, that would never happen. And Jesus was like, well, why are you not getting my illustration? What, what, what do you mean? You have to keep being born into this. You can't. We are born into the family of God. We're the children of God. So we talk about we inherit the finished work of Christ. The position that we stand is grace. You never earned it. That's that's where you stand. It's not where you earn. You don't get it in and out. I am saved. I am in the position of grace, not of works. Our position is as a child of God. It's born of the family, born into it. We're, We're part of each other for the rest of eternity, whether you like it or not. You, you, the people that are, you're in this room with, you'll be with. If they are saved, you'll be with them for all eternity. So you just need to learn to like them, okay? Because just, you just can't change this. And then number four, the seal of the Spirit of God. So, so to just to kind of tie a bow on this, God comes back and he says, let me, let me explain it like this. There's the seal of promise. Remember how we started with that promise? Let's go back and emphasize some of the words when he's talked about the promise. Ephesians 4.30 And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed until the day of redemption. He literally puts like a date on it. He says, you are sealed. You can't be unsealed by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. You are sealed until the day of redemption, until God takes us. Sealed. The word sealed means to stamp when the signet or private mark for security or preservation If you were to look at your soul, if you look at your spirit, literally own, bought, redeemed, purchased by Jesus Christ. We belong to God. We are stamped by God. 2 Corinthians 1.22, who hath also sealed us and given us the earnest of the spirit in our hearts. That earnest is a pledge. Uh, if, If any of you have ever bought a house and you had to put earnest money down, does anybody know what I'm talking about? you've ever had to do that? It's like it's a pledge, it's a commitment. He said, I've given you the Spirit of God because I'm going to come back and take what's mine. Literally is the illustration that he's doing. He the Lord promised to return and receive us unto himself. God makes us this guarantee. And let me emphasize at the beginning: just look at Israel as an illustration. God always keeps his promise. God always keeps his promise. Ephesians 1.13, in whom ye also trusted after the, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after you believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Man, you talk about assurance of your salvation. The day that you received Jesus Christ, put in your mind that visual that I was born again. Man, that all... all Heaven's rejoicing over that soul that was saved. You were born into the family of God. You can't be unborn. And then God literally just stamps you with this, this one belongs to me. And God said, I, I, I'm not gonna ever take off that seal. I'm never gonna do that because you're sealed with something that is an eternal covenant from God, a promise of God. He says in John uh, 10, 28, and I give unto them eternal life that they shall never perish, neither shall enemy and pluck them out of my hand. My father which gave them to me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Let me just say, there's another thing that people say, I don't believe I lost my salvation. I believe that I just walked away. Have you ever heard anybody say that before? I've had people say that, just like, they walked away from their faith. Now let me explain some of that, that's how I want to tie it up at the end. It's not something you just walk away from. You know what I'm saying? If you have that mindset, it's like you joined a club. You don't understand being born into a family. It's not the same thing. You don't just walk away from that. But he said this, my father which gave them is greater on. No man is able to pluck them out of my hand. No man includes you, okay? It's when he said no man, he was literally meaning no man. But he continues this promise. John six thirty seven all that the father giveth me shall come to me and him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. You talk about, man, I hope I make it in. Hope I was good enough. He said, let me tell you, all that were born of me, all that were saved by me, all that were sealed by me, all that were redeemed, I will in no wise, no way, no how, cast out. Not going to happen. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will that sent me, that all which had given to me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again into the last day. Do you notice how many of these things until the day of redemption to the last day? God literally says all the way through, whatever happens, you're sealed until the very end. All this leads me to my last point. So not only do we look at that, that we're sealed with the Spirit of God and the Bible talks about that. I have the Spirit of God. I can't shake that or lose that. But that Spirit of God leads me to the last point, which is the peace and confidence with God. I, I, th- I think this is probably the most applicable to why this is so important for us to understand. Jesus was introduced when he came in as the Prince of Peace. Literally, the the one that absolute gives peace over anything else on this earth. And there's a lot of passages that talk about that. It's inner inner assurance that everything's going to be all right. I just know. How how do you know that you can die in a car accident? Know for sure that you're going to heaven. How do you know that you, you are going through difficulty of cancer for 12 years 12 months or whatever know that at the end of it no matter what happens you're going to heaven god gives us this peace can you imagine this okay let me just lay it out let's just we talked about we're the children of god heavenly father all that different illustration we're born into this family can you imagine your kids coming in and, and, and dropping a glass of milk or, or something and then like oh I'll, I'll clean it up We'll I'll clean it up you know, constantly, and it's like, what, what, please, please don't throw me out, please don't, I, I, I don't want to lose, you, can you imagine them living in fear like that, or going to bed at night saying, oh, I hope I don't wake up and mom and dad say that I have to leave. I hope I didn't mess up that big. That, would that bother you as a parent? I, I would walk in there and grab my kids and just say, hey, listen, I'm never going to stop loving you. You are my child, and nothing's going to change that. Now, will things hinder the relationship? yes. Will they mess up? Yes. Will they mess up big time? Absolutely. But that doesn't change their position. It doesn't change their title. It, I, I don't disown them, never. You say, why is it? Because they're my child, and I love them in that. And the first John four eighteen 18 says, there, there is no fear in love. That is agape, okay? Not our love, God's love. But perfect love, God's love, it casts out fear, because fear hath torment. That's the idea where people sit there and say, I think I lost my salvation. I think God's mad at me. I think I went too far this time. I think, I think, I think. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. He says, man, if you have that, you're not experiencing the love of God. There's something else tormenting you, but it's not the love of God. There's no fear because we live in peace and acceptance. So I asked the question, when do you know you crossed that line? I mean, you know how people sit there and say, I, I think I've gone too far this time. When, when did you? When, where's that line at? It's a mystery line. Because you, you know what I'm saying? It's like, how would you even know? So you know what that means? We would constantly, every single day, be living in fear of, I hope I didn't go too far. Be like running a race with a finish line that's invisible. How do you know you ever, you just don't know. It's, it's, there's no peace with that. How many sins... Would it take to pile up to offset what God has done? And if you can put a number on that, thing, you don't understand what God has done for you. These things have been written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Do you know what he was putting on there? It was confidence. I want you to know that you know that you know the same way that my kids know I'll be their dad forever. I will, that nothing will ever change that. I want them to know that they know for sure this is confidence that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That word keep literally means to guard. And, And literally, the peace of God which passes all understanding there's so many applications of that, but one of them is the thing is you sit there and say, I don't know why God would still love me after everything that I did. God literally says, the peace of God that I give you, it goes beyond what you could understand. It's not limited by your faults and failures. It's, it, it goes beyond what you could ever imagine. It's going to guard your heart and mind. You know what that guarding is? God puts that around you so that you can have that peace of not sitting there living in fear, not, not, not being in fear of what you've done wrong, wrong with this. Let me give you some closing thoughts. Why is this debated? Okay, you say, Man, I can't even believe this is debated. A lot of people debate this because they feel that saying that you have eternal security gives you a license to sin. You know what I'm saying? It's a matter of like, Woohoo, I'm gonna go out and live it up and do whatever I want, anyways. Who cares? I'm going to heaven. Man, I'm gonna live in fornication. I'm gonna go out and steal. I'll do whatever. Who cares? Like, what does it matter? I'm going to heaven. The verse that is referenced when people will say this because they'll say moreover the law entered that offense might be abound, but whereas sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So they almost use that as a negative. So no matter how much you sin, grace always is more than that. So it's like if you murder someone, grace. You know, it's like if I, if I robbed a store. It doesn't matter, grace. I mean, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. So that's where people look at it. But this is where... Um, he, he fixes this. He, he comes back in the next verse or in chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So is that your mindset? God, God like sits this down as kids and says, can I just talk to you for a minute? Do you really believe that because you're saved by grace that you can sin as much as you want, that grace may abound? He says, God forbid. And then he says it like this. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? He said, let me say this, if you're alive in Christ and you're still trying to live like you're dead and and your trespasses and sin, then something's wrong in the inside. And this is something that I really want to zone in at the end to to, to tie this up. For the people that believe that uh, once saved, always saved is a license to sin, man, they're, they're right in some degree that if you have that mindset, something's wrong. But I don't think the the something's wrong that you're waving the grace card saying that I can do whatever I want. I I believe that you don't truly understand having the Spirit of God inside of you to begin with. Because if you have the Spirit of God inside of you, you're going to live with conviction. God's not going to let you live that way. And if you can run off and do whatever you want and have no remorse and no conviction, let me tell you, God doesn't allow you to walk into sin without that Spirit of God inside of you ringing the bell saying something's wrong. And if you can live in sin and not be under conviction, you better check your heart. And I'm saying that with all sincerity, you better check your heart. Because as a child of God, you're you're not dead anymore. You're alive in Christ. If you're alive in Christ, it's because Christ is alive in you. And if Christ is alive inside of you, you have a relationship with God. You have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. You have the seal of the Spirit of God. And when you walk into sin, you might quench the Spirit of God. We've all done that. We've under, been, been under conviction. man. We've thought, man, I shouldn't be doing this. Why am I doing this? And I look back with regret and I make things right. But the Spirit of God is always there pulling you back in there because He's inside of you. He's not going to be able to let you drag your, Him into sin like that. So I ask the question every single time. It's, it's not a matter, of did you lose your salvation? I question, did you ever have it? And, and I know that sounds harsh, but I truly believe when people will grow up in church and they have a head knowledge and not a heart knowledge, and man, I remember saying this prayer when I was six years old because so, so-and-so Sunday school teacher prayed with me. That's great that they did that. But I tell you, the Bible is very clear when it says this, for with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's not repeating words. It starts with the heart, and if people can live in sin and not have conviction, something is seriously wrong in their heart. Something is wrong. It's about the heart condition, and we're going to struggle with sin all the time. We're always going to struggle with sin, but if you are saved, you have the Spirit of God that's constantly pulling us in back. That's why He says, so we continue in the grace." May abound. God forbid. God won't. God ain't going to let that happen. God will constantly bring conviction to our hearts. It's not a matter of losing your salvation. People need to question whether they can live in sin and they had it to begin with. Let me read one last passage that is something that helps me a lot when I'm explaining this to other people. It's one of the passages that I go to. John chapter 3 is one of the big ones about being born again and the family and the finished work of Christ and the position of grace, all these different things. But let me give you a Matthew 7.21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me that work iniquity. Now, you're saying, that doesn't sound like an eternal security verse. When he says at the end of it, he says, many will come before me in that day and say, Lord, have we not done all these many wonderful works and went to church and I gave him the offering and I supported missions. I went on mission trips. I did all these great, wonderful things. And Jesus said at the end of that, then will I profess to them, I never knew you. Does anybody get what I'm saying with that? Connecting the dots. It's not a matter of, well, I knew you once and you came back and then you ran away again and then you came back. He, he said, literally, he says, no, you're going to hell because I never knew you. It's, it, and, and, and God doesn't have memory loss. He's not saying, well, I th- was, were they once one of the, no, it was, it was a matter, I, I never knew you. You were never one of my children. That's because you either have it or you don't. This is going to be debated, and you sit there and say, I have this settled. you will be amazed at how many people come up to you. You'd be amazed at how many Christians you'll deal with. and say, man, I've just gone so far. I'm messed up, man, I'm really messed up. Well, it's a matter of getting it right with your father. It's not a matter about being reborn because you only have to be born once.